I'm glad to be back with you today and very grateful for that kind introduction from Jessica. I want to begin by saying there's three ways to make a salad. It's not a normal way to talk about a text in the Bible. And I call these three ways the weird way, the American way, and the right way, or the biblical way. You can search hard for right ways to make salad in the Bible and you won't find them, but I'm gonna suggest that there is one. The uh, weird way, you, you have to gather all your ingredients, and in our family, we have, uh, we have a snooty feel towards salad because my wife pays attention to all the pages of health, so we use kale and chard. Uh, we have put uh, iceberg lettuce behind us. <laughs> and we use um, carrots and scallions and pep red pepper to give it flavor and color. And then we use uh, sometimes olives, and often we use um, cheese. And I prefer Pecorino Romano uh, for no other reason than I like to pronounce it in sermons. <laughs> and sometimes we use feta cheese. But so these are the ingredients that we gather. And the weird way of eating this is to put these all in separate little bowls. Uh, the American way is to put them all in one bowl and soak them in a salad dressing so that you don't taste the ingredients. <laughs> and the third way is the biblical way, and I'll talk about this uh, in a few minutes. And I will leave you in suspense, not that it matters that much, but it might make you feel a little weird getting salad at lunch today. <laughs> Especially if I'm looking over your shoulder, I'll poke you in the elbow and say, this is preference. Today we want to look at the second part of Philemon, because yesterday we looked at Onesimus, the slave, whom Paul had rescued from his sin and from his life, and was sending him back to his slave owner, Philemon, uh, with hopes, some of which are not completely clear in the letter, but at least Paul sent him back to Philemon uh, because Paul had uh, led him to Christ and wanted there to be reconciliation in the household of Philemon. Yesterday I mentioned that in the reading of this letter, Paul would have taught, I think probably Tychicus, how to perform this letter as he read it. You have to imagine that this is not a book of Scripture yet, and that's hard for us to do but that this was a letter sent almost surreptitiously into a household of Philemon. And Philemon is the only one uh, that matters in this letter who doesn't know what's going on. And, and this letter would have been read publicly in the sense that it would have been read to the entire household and to the entire church. And Paul would have trained Tychicus, taught Tychicus, explained to Tychicus how to perform the letter, what tone to use in which expressions, whom to look at 
when you made certain verses. Because there's some where if you're not looking at Philemon, it doesn't make sense. But if you're looking at him eyeball to eyeball, he is really put in the dock. And he had, he, I'm sure he taught him, hesitate here and let him listen to these words carefully. Don't let him off the hook quickly. He would have given him uh, instructions about emphasis. And there's another dimension to this, and this may be difficult to get going today, but I'm going to encourage you to participate, and that is, it would have been an audience participation. As the letter was read, the people in the congregation, or the household, would have participated in, the, in what was being said. Sort of, hmm, really? And there are different groups in this household. There would have been, almost certainly, other slaves whose life was hanging in the balance on Philemon's decision about Onesimus because they would have been considered uh, implicated in the decision by Onesimus to run. And Philemon could well have assumed that they all knew what he was doing and didn't report it to him. So there's a good chance that the slaves are hoping for a certain result as, a res as this letter is being read. So they would have listened to the words of this letter in a completely different way than other people in the household because they're implicated in Onesimus. And there would have been family members in the household. We will, we will look at these, but Dr. Oswald already read these. Aphia and Archippus are perhaps family members. No one really knows, but Jerome said they were family members, so everybody thinks they're family members, and nobody can disprove him or prove him, so, you know, it doesn't matter. But there were family members there because it's, it's Philemon's household. And then there would have been other believers in the congregation, some slaves who believed, some non-slaves who believed, perhaps some dependents, uh, some homeless, some people connected to the church in Colossae. So we want to look at this letter to see how Paul would have had it performed by Tychicus as the letter was uh, read publicly. But there's one other dimension in that is, and that is the elephant in the room is there, Onesimus is in the room, and he is eyeball to eyeball with Philemon every moment of the reading of this letter, because his future depends on Philemon's judgment as he makes a decision about what to do. I want to rehearse again Paul's theology that is at work behind this letter. As I mentioned yesterday, Galatians 3.28, for there is, in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female, for they are all one in Christ. And in a letter written some years later in Colossians, uh, Paul says in Colossians 3.11 that there is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcised nor uncircumcised, slave nor free, Scythian or barbarian, for Christ is all and is in all. So this is his theology. But there is also something in Colossians that matters to this, and we read this scripture yesterday, that Paul had instructed the slaves to obey their master in everything, not because they are the Lord, but because Christ is the Lord. And he had instructed Philemon 
uh, probably in this letter because Philemon was one of the slave masters in this house at the church at Colossae. He said, provide your slaves with what is right and equitable. The Greek word isotes, because you know that you have a master in heaven. So Paul has a theology at work of reconciliation, of unity, order, and obedience, and masters are to become a different sort of master. They are not in charge of the household. Christ is in charge of the household, and they are merely servants of Christ in the household as they bring a new level of reconciliation, justice, and equity to the home and the household. So Paul has this vision behind him as he takes on Philemon. And I want to say that he has a few angles on Philemon's life. And this is explained in part, I think, by the benefactor relationship of first century Rome uh, and the Roman Empire, where gifts um, implied response. But Paul calls Philemon in this letter a loved one. And this uh, word occurs in Philemon chapter 1. And when we translate it friend, that's a good word. And it's an important word in, uh, in English. But Paul is using uh, one of our favorite Christian words, agapetas, agapao, uh, behind this, to refer to this new relationship that he has with Philemon, because Philemon has become a Christian. He also calls him his favorite word for fellow ministers. He calls him a co-worker in verse 1. So he is a loving, he's a, uh, is someone he loves, and he is someone who is working with him in the gospel. He says that the church meets in his home. So this is Philemon's household church where he is evidently the leader of this church. In verse 19, we have a very interesting expression. Because Paul says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. And then he adds this little kick in the shins toward the end of the letter. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. That's a powerful statement, but almost everyone, uh, including Dr. Witherington, uh, agrees that this is re referring to the conversion of the Apostle Paul, of the uh, uh, Philemon, and probably at the hand of Epaphras, and uh, at the hand, therefore, of Paul. So he sees him as a convert to the gospel. And then he also knows that Philemon has all the power of the world over Onesimus in his hand. This is emphasized in verse 14. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you would do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Now, we'll look at this in a minute, but that's, a, that's saying things in two ways, in a very clever, rhetorical, persuasive way. But at the same time, Paul knows that Philemon is going to make this decision. And that's the critical aspect of this entire letter. So I would like to read this and perform this. Uh, I'm not, I don't have it memorized. I'm of the age where I wouldn't trust my memory even if I did have it memorized. But uh, I want to read this and I'll, I'll make a few comments. Uh, but I'm going to ask you to identify yourself 
with someone in this congregation and in this household, either Onesimus and the slaves, and you've got to feel what they're feeling as Onesimus, in a sense, is standing, waiting for the judgment of Philemon, or you can be family members, or you can be believers in the congregation who are awaiting the decision. One of these groups I'd like you to identify with, and if you have any Pentecostal roots, uh, feel free to speak publicly in the call and response type uh, letter that would be going on here. I grew up in a church where nobody said anything. And I'm in the Anglican church, and we've gotten even quieter. <laughs> Every now and then, somebody just might go, hmm. But that would be, that, that might cause a lot of people to turn around and look to see what's happening. But feel free to identify with this character and say the sorts of things that you might think would have been said as this letter is being read. Just don't do anything goofy, okay? Although I could handle that. I taught college students for 17 years and everything happened. So I want to uh, read this letter and I want you to imagine this letter now in the household of Philemon, where Philemon, you know, I told you yesterday that slaves were put on a slave block in Rome to be sold. Let's put Philemon on the block in the dock. And now Paul is cornering him in his own household. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul does here. And you have to imagine Onesimus awaiting the decision. And everybody in the congregation or in the household, in many ways, totally taken by surprise. What's going on here? And they will be confused as the letter is being read wondering what he's going to say. And Paul, in beautiful rhetorical fashion, doesn't start out uh, with his conclusion, an abstract of it. He just lets it go. And he wanders, and you're kind of waiting. What, what's he going to be asking for here? And Philemon is more and more tense as he awaits. Would you just say it, Paul? You can hear him saying a few times. And Paul waits uh, till later in the letter to render his public statement of what he wants to be done. So Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, the only time Paul starts a letter calling himself a prisoner. Why? Because we know things, and you know things, and Paul knows things, and Onesimus knows things, and Philemon is in the dark. And Paul has just identified himself with the status of Onesimus. He's done this beautifully and rhetorically to put himself on the side of Onesimus in this public assembly. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon. And now Philemon is going to be affirmed for six verses, seven verses, publicly. And this will be a great opportunity for his honor to be scorched into the memory of his people. And he will love these moments when the Apostle Paul, in a sense, 
is stroking his ego. But more than that, he's honoring this man as a Christian so he can motivate him as a Christian to create a revolution inside this household of reconciliation. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Your goes back to Philemon, I think. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty typical with hints of what is to come. Now Paul gives thanks, and this is where he affirms uh, Philemon so well, so publicly, that Philemon could do nothing but feel the honor of being approved by the Apostle Paul in his congregation, and therefore his leadership given strength. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. That word remember is a potent biblical word. Zechariah, Zakar, to remember is to put this person in the presence of God so that God will remember his covenant and remember this person's place in that covenant. But I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. Now this is interesting. He says, I hear about your love for all his holy people, including Onesimus, including slaves who have run away, including people who might not be acceptable. And I hear about your love for all his people. He does not know at this point, Philemon, that this is all about Onesimus. But he is giving his theology uh, a boost that he has become a lover of all of God's people. And your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray, now this is powerful language again, I pray that your koinonas, your partnership, your fellowship with us in the faith, and Paul goes abstract, like a theologian for a moment, because he wants to suspend the clarity of what he wants to say. So he just says things that you and I, and, and Onesimus and Paul, and Tychicus, they all know what this means. But Philemon has no idea, really. He says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. That's a brilliant request without making it clear. He's loading it theologically. Because theologically, this, what is going to happen with Philemon and Onesimus in this household is going to be a powerful demonstration of someone's understanding who is penetrating to every good thing that God is doing in this congregation in Colossae. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. 
Now he's going to ask him to refresh him again here. So this word's going to come back. But he has now demonstrated that Philemon in his past has been a loving, welcoming, encouraging, God's people affirming type of leader. At this point in the letter, I, uh, I was convinced, and I still am convinced, that Philemon, prior to Onesimus' departure, was a good man, a kind man, a gracious man, known for his love. And this puts more heat on Onesimus' decision to walk away and to leave this household. Now Paul turns, and he turns to the congregation, and he turns to all the people to understand this, but in the logic and in the rhetorical flow, he's now going to turn up the heat one notch under the seat on which Philemon's sitting. And he says, Although, he says, in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. Still, we don't know what this is. And though I could tell you what to do, which is a way of saying I'm telling you what to do, right? Although I'm your father, and I could tell you what to do and what time to be home, I'm going to trust you to do the right thing, 11 o'clock. <laughs> right? Isn't that right? So Paul has used a rhetorical move here of revelation and then covered it up. He says, although I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I, appear, I, I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Because after all, he has just said, your love for all the saints. And you've refreshed the hearts of all the saints. So he's going to ask him to return to this disposition and this behavioral pattern on Philemon's part of loving all the saints. It is none other, and now he goes back to himself and backs off because he's pressured him without being really clear. It is none other than Paul. And he says, I'm an old man. Feel sorry for me. And a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Feel doubly sorry for me. Although it is, no, it is none other than Paul, I appeal to you, and now a revelation occurs in the community. For my son, my technon, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Do you have love for all the saints? Philemon is being asked. Here's a new one. Will you love him? And what does that mean when we kick open the door and throw Onesimus before you on how you will respond to him? Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to you and to me. Now this is unclear to Philemon, totally known to Paul and Onesimus and Tychicus of what this means. But somehow Onesimus has become powerfully useful to Paul in the ministry of the gospel, even though Paul is in chains in house arrest. So now he's not only said, he's my son, 
and a favorite term of Paul's for uh, uses for Timothy is not only his son, he's also someone who has become useful in the ministry of the gospel. Do you love all the saints? He's asking Philemon. I am sending him who is my very heart. You refresh the hearts. This guy is my heart. Strong words of his affection and connection and relationship to Onesimus. I am sending him back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps, and now he gives a theological explanation that I explained a little bit more yesterday, the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that so you might have him back forever. Now Paul declares the status of Onesimus in the household of Philemon. This is where I think reconciliation enters the room and where Philemon is now put in the dock. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, he says, as a dear brother. You know how you loved all the brothers and sisters? You know how you loved all God's people? Here's one, a challenge for you to love. He is very dear to me, and even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. And now Paul uh, gives what our development department calls the ask. Only he's not asking for money. So if you consider me a partner, not. welcome him as you would welcome me. Now this puts man, a man on the spot. His response to Onesimus is his response to Paul. His response to Paul should be the same as his response to Onesimus. Onesimus and Paul are on the same level. A slave, a prisoner, a brother. The same level of Philemon. If he has done you any wrong, this is an indication, I think, probably, that Onesimus, when he left, stole some things, which is very typical for runaways. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Where's Paul getting his money? I, Paul, this is when Paul picks up pen and starts to write in this letter. Prior to this, he hadn't been writing. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. (laughs) So Paul has said, I want you to make the decision, but it better be right. But that's because Paul believes that reconciliation is the name of the game of the gospel. He believes that this man is now a brother in Christ because he is in Christ. And Philemon is no longer a master to this man. He is now a brother. They are siblings in Christ. I do wish that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. You're the one known for refreshing people's hearts. How about mine? Which is a way of saying, do what I say. 
Welcome him back. That's the dynamic word. Welcome him into the house. Paul now slips, confident of your obedience. Well, he just said, I'm not going to make you do it. No ordering. So obedience here probably is obedience to the implications of the gospel in this household. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And we don't know what that means. Everybody thinks they do, but it's purposefully ambiguous because he's putting a Philemon into a spot to explore the implications of reconciliation in this household, and we will see how the Spirit creates reconciliation. And one more thing, Paul says. You talk about turn up the heat. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. You prayed for me to be released? I'm coming. And when I get there, I'll see how things are going with Onesimus and Philemon. And we'll see if you're living out the gospel. Then he closes with the names that people ignore, but they're all Paul's best friends. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark and Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the expiration of a house rearranged by reconciliation. The third way to make a salad is to put all the ingredients in a big bowl and toss them all together and put olive oil on it. Extra virgin olive oil from Italy, not from Greece. I prefer the Italian olive oil, but sometimes we pay, have to pay too much, so we have Greece. Right now we have Corinthian olive oil. The olive oil is the Holy Spirit, and here's what happens. On Sunday mornings in the United States, more churches are the weird way. Presbyterians are with Presbyterians, and Anglicans are with Anglicans, and Baptists are with Baptists, and Methodists, of course, are with everybody. They're very welcoming. I, would, I wouldn't want to get in trouble with my hosts here. And, and Pentecostals are with Pentecostals, and non-charismatics are going to make sure they're not with Pentecostals, etc. So Sunday morning is a segregated hour where Christians betray the prayer of Jesus that we would all be one. But that's because in the United States and in most churches, more people are like the American way, where they put everybody together but then drench them with the same culture. And if you don't fit the culture, we'll cover you with our culture so your culture doesn't uh, manifest itself. But the vision of the New Testament is that we would be a fellowship of difference, that you will taste the spinach and you will taste the kale and you will taste the chard and the tomatoes and the carrots because their taste is heightened by the presence of olive oil, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that way we can eliminate or at least soften the friction between the pieces in the salad so that we can become a fellowship of difference, living together in unity, all together because we are all together in one family. In the first hour of heaven, there will be no music played. 
I'm not, I don't believe in purgatory, so don't go in this direction. There will be no music played. There will be no songs sung until we have all been reconciled to one another. So I envision the first hour in heaven to be a big display of coffee tables where we can sit down with one another and make good with what we didn't make good in this life. I believe Philemon made good with Onesimus, and that's why we have this letter, a letter where reconciliation rearranged the furniture in a household. Thank you.